You're listening to the Community Pulse Podcast, a podcast on developer relations, community management, and everything in the tech community spectrum. Welcome your hosts, Mary Thangball, Jason Hand, and PJ Haggerty. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Community Pulse. As you know, I'm PJ, and I'm here today with Mary and Jason and our special guest host, SJ. Uh, We're going to talk a little bit about job fluidity, but before we get to that, SJ, why don't you tell us a little bit about our sponsors? Sure thing. So our podcast today is sponsored by Devada, empowering developers to learn, share, grow, and succeed via technology-specific web communities. Devada's Answer Hub software powers developer relations communities for some of the biggest technology and tech-enabled companies in the world, including Disney, Pixar, Epic Games, and IBM. And if you're a developer, you've likely been to dzone.com for user-contributed technical learning resources. Visit communitypulse.io slash Devada for more information. Awesome. Thank yeah. you, SJ. No problem. Mary, why don't you tell us a little bit about what, we'll be gonna, what we're going to be talking about in this episode? Sure thing. Um, So for those of us who have been in DevRel for a little while, or even just a handful of years, a topic that comes up a lot is what do we do next, right? What do we do when we don't want to be traveling or when we want to do something slightly different? Um, So our guests today have all been in DevRel and have all moved to either completely outside of DevRel jobs or DevRel adjacent jobs. So we're kind of talking about what's next, what does your career path look like, what are some of your options? We have Matt Broberg, Shannon Burns, and Lauren Cooney with us today, and I will let each of them introduce themselves. Hey, all. I'm Matt. I'm a technical advocate and editor for opensource.com. It's a open publication for anyone writing about open source. Uh, Most of our contribution comes from people like you, and my job is to coach people, be an analyst on what's happening in the industry, and occasionally go to some conferences about it. So a little DevRel adjacency hinting in there already. Um, and previously, was uh, DevRel for about four years officially with the title, all in open source, open core business model companies. Uh, I am Shannon Burns. I am an engineering manager in the internal tools team um, at Slack which is a little-known messaging company for teams. Um, I used to be on the developer relations team at Slack, and before that was in developer relations for a company called Nginx as well. Um, uh, I find it's really fascinating how similar internal tools is to developer relations, so excited to share more. That's awesome. Hi, guys. I'm Lauren Cooney. I am the CEO and founder of Spark Labs, which is a company that helps empower and lift up women and focuses on bringing more inclusivity and diversity to technology. So one of the things that we focus on is I do a lot of uh, coaching, mentoring, um, and we also have a community. And uh, you can just go to sparklabs.com, sparklabsco.com for more information. Um, My background really quickly, um, I uh, started my career at BEA Systems where I uh, started in developer relations and uh, ended up leading a team there moved on and did some mixed DevRel PM stuff at Microsoft and IBM, um, and then went on to Juniper and Cisco and have helped out with developers since then. So uh, super psyched to be here and talk about this topic. Thanks so much for having us. Awesome. Thanks for coming on to the show. We always appreciate a good group of guests. Uh, This is an unusually large show for us, but I think we're going to get a lot of cool perspectives and and deep information. Um, You all talked about how you kind of have, have roots in DevRel. Matt, you even said you're kind of DevRel adjacent. But uh, at some point in time, there was something that made you say, I'm going to stop doing the DevRel stuff that I'm doing 
in the way that I'm doing it and move on to something else? What was kind of the prompt or, or maybe the realization that brought you to that point? Yeah, I'm happy to kick it off with the um, kind of analysis of that. It's, it's always fun reflecting back, like what was the driving factor? And when I was changing jobs, I was uh, approached to do more developer advocacy, DevRel type work, because it is such a keyword these days. And, and every startup seems to want one. And every enterprise seems to have a division of something called DevRel. And what was challenging for me is that I found every single one of those conversations had completely different expectations for what the role was and what it wasn't. And it often had each person I would interview with in the same organization had different expectations for what that person would or wouldn't be doing. Uh, and I was at a point where I decided it was more important for me to do clear work well and build new skills as opposed to explain what developer relations was as a primary function of my job. Uh, so I decided to think more about like what skills can I gain from this as opposed to how can I introduce an organization that, to be blunt, doesn't really know what they want exactly or people would be a little bit more aligned. Um, and I just found that to be the right move for me at that time. From my perspective is uh, the path, that, the career path I wanted to take. And that really was, you know, I started out really early in developer relations. Um, it was uh, in 2002, maybe. Um, Todd Nielsen, who built the MSDN program and, uh, and the Microsoft MVP program, actually, was, uh, brought me into a company called BEA Systems. And they were doing, we were doing a lot of developer relations. We were doing roadshows on the cheap. Um, you know, Motel 6 was our fave <laughs> um, back then in the day. Uh, you know, we had to, we built a community of, um, you know, I think from when I joined, we had about 200,000 developers. When I, when I left, we had about a million. And um, I think it was, um, for me, it was really along the lines of as I, as I got promoted and I got more, um, you know, kind of uh, ability to look across different organizations and different different areas of companies and things like that. I wanted to show them how important developers were to their business. And sometimes to do that, I had to, um, you know, learn new skills and move forward and take on positions where then I would put a developer relations organization under my division, um, you know, in order to maintain that control. So, um, you know, I think it was, it was a mix of, I wanted to move more into general management as well as I wanted to foster the support for developers as I moved up in my career. I think that's important. So I think mine was a little bit different from both, uh, both Matt and Lauren's experience. So, um, I, I really was passionate about developer relations, um, loved it so much. Um, it just had a kind of just a different idea of, what um, I wanted to do in terms of developer relations than, um, than the person that I was working with at the time as my director. Completely different department now. Um, but I loved the company at Slack so much that I didn't, I, it was a choice between do I want to continue doing developer relations in this way that this other person likes or do I want to continue being at Slack? And I, I really loved the company here and found a lot of similar opportunities that were the same skill set. Essentially, I, I wanted to be writing more code um, so I went to back to being a full-time engineer and found out that um, actually building tools for developers that work at my company was so similar to building tools for other developers externally. And I really enjoyed having this similar like skill set and problem set to work on. I was just going to say, I love the fact that all three of you have that passion for developers still, right? 
So like Lauren, you said you were moving up in your career, but still had that passion for developers and was making sure that they were still being taken care of no matter your role. Shannon, you're still building tooling for developers and still helping the developers in your company. Matt, you're still working with the open source community really closely, right? So I think that passion is one of the things that I always tell people who are hiring to look for. Are, they, are people passionate about developers? And it's fascinating to me to see that that's something that still drives what you're doing, even if it's a slightly different role than you used to do. Uh, you know, I think a couple of years ago, and especially finally, I mean, I want to say finally, investors started realizing how important developers were too. And that was so critical. And, you know, you look at the numbers behind the GitHub acquisition and why they were that high. And literally it's because they put a cost per developer head. Right. And, and that's, um, that was kind of the point of finally, you know, I remember I was so happy <laughs> just to see that. Something else, something else I kind of picked up on similar to, to what Mary was saying, but, but more that, I sense all three of you want to maintain some sort of um, advocacy for advocacy. Like you just want that to, you don't want it to go away just because you took your, your eye off the ball or focused on something else. Like you really feel passionate that that's something that needs to stay there and needs to uh, continue to grow. And even though it might not be your primary responsibility anymore to foster that, you somehow want to have a hand in that still. Yeah, my pitch for that, Jason, is that uh, there's just a, a large difference between like what your job function is and what your job title is. And my job function has always been community cultivation in a developer uh, space. It's definitely gone towards open source developers specifically. That's I think that's my expertise that I'm I'm driving toward with my work. Uh, but my job function. Uh, the specific title I get paid to do, like they, they tend to float between org charts. Like we have to understand the business value we're being able to provide an organization and how that in, empowers us to enable developers for that organization. It's always that handshake between those two external needs and the internal justification and responsibility we have there. Uh, and in doing so, I think, you know, I'm not sure if people will agree or disagree here, but I think DevRel is very much, reminds me of like DevOps. It's this mashup of skills that for now, it's a necessary job function as well as a job uh, title, but eventually it'll just be a function. It's, it's just everyone has to be better at talking to developers and understanding how to provide uh, useful resources, whether that's content or code that really you know, empowers them to do what they wanna do. So for me, it was like, this is a cool job where I get to really uh, become expert on the content side, which is something I've always dabbled in, but I've really wanted to dig into, and I'm enjoying learning that. It's pretty far from the code side of the open source maintainer stuff I did in DevRel, but it's so clear, and I love the clear boundaries right now, because I, don't, I think everyone here, I see heads nodding. Like we've all had to describe our job title a thousand times to the same people over and over again. And it's just nice to take a breath and you know, do some other shit with their time. But Shannon, like it sounds, I'd love to hear the coding angle from yours because like that's a pretty cool shift inside Slack. Oh man, I love it. Yeah, it's, uh, I think my thing is just, I've been thinking as everyone else has been talking about it. I just am really nerdy about nerds. <laughs> Um, and I love thinking like getting to spend so much time thinking about how can I make the lives of the developers that I actually see every day like that, like a little bit better and a little bit more joyful and playful at work and, and um, 
it's just, I couldn't ask for more rewarding work, but I, I felt like it was the same thing I got from developer relations. Like I was out there doing the same thing, getting to like build cool stuff to make other people, people's lives and experiences a little bit better. And it's just, how do you, how do you not get jazzed about that? I don't know. <laughs> One of the things I'm hearing from everyone um, is just this, you know, to reiterate that passion for developers, but it's really encouraging to hear, um, that they're starting to be a nice diverse set of career paths for folks who are in DevRel now. Um, but I also think that we're, you know, as per what Matt was saying, uh, sort of clearly highlighting some of the ongoing challenges that we have in defining um, developer advocacy within different companies. And so, you know, when we're talking about actually leaving DevRel, like I think we have to understand, you know, what are we even talking about in the first place, right? And so, um, it's this interesting combination, like we're at this evolutionary point with, with several popping up everywhere and the, the value of developers being very clear. Um, but you know, if we're actually talking about what does that career path look like, again, it's that question of a consistent definition in the industry. Um, so I, I mean, that's a topic for another day potentially, but it's just interesting to hear that, you know, a folks are, um, finding roles within these sort of developer um, supported companies that work for them. Um, but also there's still a lot of conversation to be had on how we actually define developer advocacy and DevRel within companies. Yeah, and I love that because one of our questions today was how much of a challenge is it to find a new role that fits your passions, right? And we have three very different roles that the three of you have taken on here. And we've got different roles even within our hosts. Like, I mean, I'm an, a consultant these days. PJ is as well. SJ, you have been too. Jason, you're doing more of the, the Microsoft-specific advocacy. And so it's fascinating to me that, like, that's a valid question that I hear from a lot of people. Like, well, but if I move out of DevRel, how am I going to find something that still I'm really super passionate about? And it sounds like, at least for this group, that wasn't too difficult of a thing to do. Is that accurate? So can I just say, I am shocked to find out that getting into management, first of all, I was really hesitant to get into management for a long time, but to get into management, just how much the job is about advocacy of your developers. It's, that's what it is really. Um, and my God, it's amazing. <laughs> it's so rewarding and I love it. Um, I'm just, I'm just curious, Shannon, would you say that in some ways, like becoming a manager just means that it's a shift in the community you're working with. Instead of working with an external community of people that you're seeing all the time, you're working with a much smaller community of the developers that you're seeing every day. And that's, I mean, but essentially like a lot of the same skills overlap. There's a Venn yeah. diagram there. Yeah. So I also, I was a, um, an IC for a while. So I was a, a senior engineer for a bit um, before moving into management. So I immediately left developer relations just to build, just be an engineer and build internal tools and, it, and then that kind of progression, it's just been like a really great um, ability to like utilize those skills and, um, and that I made in, in developer relations and find applications to them. And the more that I've kind of progressed in my career path, the more I've seen that I've gotten to use that skill set in different ways and kind of flex my muscles in different ways that I really built the foundation of in developer uh, relations that I kind of wasn't expecting. Um, I don't know if that answered your question. <laughs> Sorry. Well, I, I, did, something to, I, yeah, I have something to sort of like kind of pin into that too and dig a little deeper. It seems to me that uh, maybe at least for the three of you, uh, 
the jobs that you landed on, you know, you were drawn to them or they were drawn to you, but it was maybe a little bit less about your resume or the, you know, the skills that you picked up, uh, the hard, we'll call them hard and soft skills that you picked up in DevRel versus the ones that's more personality based and more like we know what this person is just capable of doing within the community and within like the developer, the developer sort of space. I'm curious how much of your background, either as a developer in IC or as a open source contributor or whatever the case is, did that play more a role of it? Or is it really because, hey, we sat down with Matt and man, I love that dude. And I don't even know what he's good at, but he's going to nail it. <laughs> um, is it more that? Because that's what I'm picking up on. Yeah, it's it's definitely a, a bucket of both, my friend, because at least for for my gig, they were inbound. I think one of the huge advantages that is worth saying, you know, there's a lot of the challenge of being in DevRel and the challenge of, of what you do and how you measure it and all that. The incredible, incredible advantage is you're paid to be really good at networking in like the authentic definition of networking, which is just meet awesome people by going to great shows and being yourself. And if you can stay in touch through whatever channels, most of us are hanging out on Twitter together, some in Slack, some in other places, but like you get to build this amazing network of people and build skills together, build code together. Like that's your whole job. And that's freaking incredible. Uh, so many of us have, I've had the benefit of that advantage for years now. So I, when I said I was looking, people popped out of the woodworks and invited me to apply for things. And one of them, like the, the job I currently have was through a friend through Twitter, as all job applications have been for me for a while. And in that, I'm like, well, why would I do this exactly? And then I realized like, oh, this is just a really clear cut version of what I've had to do in the past. But it's not like the do this and that and that. It was work with a developer community in the open source space to tell stories and then measure and analyze the data afterwards and tell more stories about that. I'm like, yeah, sold. Uh, so it, it was very much the relationship jump off point and the clarity of that. But I think that's a skill. Like, I think that's a learned skill, right? That, that yeah. developer relations forces you to grow, really. That um, I think is, too, the same, the same thing that caused, helped me to, to move into my um, previous role, which then grew into this management role that I'm in now. Um, but yeah, it's that, that networking and, and being able to make those relationships. Yeah, and I think um, you know, from from my perspective, I was I was in DevRel, and then I was leading a developer relations team, and they put open source under my purview as well, and so that was literally how I got into that. Um, I learned how to code because I said something really idiotic to a bunch of software developers, and literally was presented with a book on Java, to uh, by the chief architect at the time, um, Chris Fry, and uh, he actually fixed the Twitter fail whale later in his career. So <laughs> a little tie into Twitter there. And I think that it's, um, you know, that, that, that skill set that I learned in terms of like having to know the basic tenets of, of coding. And, you know, I, I then went on to PHP and ASP.NET as I moved along with companies and as I progressed in leadership in product management and in open source, those were super critical because fundamentally I needed to know what my developers were doing, how fast they were working, if it was fast enough how fast we were going to finish features, what we were looking at, have that outbound perspective, that inbound perspective, and then also, you know, start to grow the business perspective of what a profit and loss center looks like. And I think, you know, as you look at, um, you know, the developer relations, those, all those skills that I picked up in, you know, in my first couple of years doing that were 
absolutely critical to my skills that I use even today. Yeah, I think sometimes that people, when they're considering making a shift uh, in their career like this, um, often think of all the negatives that they might be facing, like, oh, am I going to be good enough? Are, they, are these skills going to be transferable? Um, and I think that, you know, the amount of skills that you develop and the diversity of them in developer relations is um, really something that sets you more apart um, and, and ends up qualifying you more so than necessarily other people that may have just spent a lot of time getting really deeply technical in one area um, and that's, you know, coding or otherwise. Um, so I think this brings up an interesting point because I, I remember early in my career as a developer, a lot of people always said like, oh, spend some time with the sales team. So spend some time with customer support. Um, do you think there's actually value if people who are in development, management, um, sales, whatever, customer support, actually spend time with their DevRel people to maybe learn some of those skills about socializing and interacting and you know how to have a conversation that isn't just like I do X you also do X let's talk about X oh yeah especially working in inter internal tools like having people that build internal tools speak with your developer relations people and having that tight connection there so that way they can get that feedback from what are the external people feeling like that are doing the same job I do but at other companies it's huge makes a huge difference a mentor of mine uh, said something or used a term I'd never heard of that's now like always in the back of my head of optionality. Like optionality is this concept of like, what is your potential energy into going different directions? Like if you think about it in the idea of like thinking of your skill set, are you a T? Like are you really wide on a lot of things and deep on one things? Or are you like shaped like pie now? Like you're deep on a couple topics. Um, I think of optionality like, any job that you sit across the table from on a regular basis is something you probably could pivot into if you wanted to. And I've used that as a little bit of a metric of, for myself of like, how do I sit across from as many people as possible so I feel confident doing a diverse set of work? So I've been a sales engineer, a tech marketer, a product manager, uh, a software engineer, believe it or not, as well, tech support, of VP at a startup, I like tried to try everything because I've just always wanted to understand how all this stuff fits together. And that served me better than any specific job title alone, just that curiosity of continuing to explore how all these pieces fit. It sounds a lot like DevRel maybe can be kind of a, uh, a launch pad for a lot of folks who are, have diverse interests and are not quite sure what their next step's gonna be. For a couple of reasons, maybe it's not such a bad thing that we look at it as being not necessarily a long-term play because of the travel factors, because of other, other factors that make it um, sometimes a little hard to sustain, um, but gives us this advantage of, like you say, working across from all kinds of different folks. And so perhaps I'm wondering, just from a career path perspective, um, if that, that might be a, a way of looking at a career path within DevRel. Like, DevRel gives you this opportunity to sort of um, sample all kinds of different, um, you know, teams and different roles, and then you can kind of, um, you know, pick and choose based on your your skills and talents and what works best for you, as opposed to necessarily needing to um, create some sort of career path within DevRel proper. Um, just because this seems to be a, a, con a consensus with the group that, you know, being in DevRel for the time you were gave you the opportunity to move on to the thing that made the most sense for you. So I, I'm going to say something, and this may be a little controversial, 
Um, I don't think you can effectively lead a developer relations team at the highest levels, like a CVP or an EVP level without having expertise in different areas in the business. Like you really need to fundamentally understand like how the sales team works, how like profit and loss centers work, how, um, you know, how legal works, right? If, you know, open source, you definitely now have to have background in open source and you better well have put something into, into open source as well as, you know, you know, pushed a lot of code into, you know, maybe a foundation or something along those lines. Um, you know, gosh, like, um, I think, you know, cause you go to bat at these levels too, and you have to learn how people play the quote unquote game as well, because you're fighting for developers, right? You're fighting for money for developers and you don't want to put a dollar amount to their head because God forbid someone at the company raises their hand and says, well, how much are we earning per developer? That is the worst thing, right? Because they don't, that's, that's when you get that they don't understand the value. So I think you really need to have that expertise so that you are like, you know, Matt, I can't even like say how proud I am of your career. Like it's awesome. And I just think that, um, you know, just, just watching Matt, for example, and his example just now of talking about, you know, how he learns from people across the table and things like that. It's like, uh, I can't even wait to like work with Matt. I'm so excited. Right. Um, so anyways, I just think that that's a, that's a really critical point. Um, when you're, when you're looking at the, your career long-term, right. So I'd love to dig into that a little bit for people who are now starting to look into DevRel manager positions since those finally seems so to be existing. That's a thing. That's a thing now. Right? It's a like, thing now. How, how do people who have, you know, maybe spent a little bit of time elsewhere, but maybe don't have as prolific of a career as Matt does, how do we put ourselves in those places where we can really get that information and, and partner with those people in a way that we understand where they're coming from and can have those conversations? Who's your mentor? Who are your mentors? That's my first thing that I would say is look around. Um, I always would try to find mentors in organizations where I, I would look for two things. One, um, I would look for people that my boss respected because if I was going to go to bat with my boss, I wanted to have someone backing me up. And uh, I'm probably going to get some emails about that one. <laughs> but uh, I think the next thing is um, I always would look for folks that not, didn't necessarily have my skill set, but were um, you know, somewhere in, you know, kind of up the quote unquote ladder that I could learn from that were in the field organization or in marketing, for example, or in, you know, one time I uh, had a mentor that was a vice president of finance and that was eye opening. I just really think that diversity was important. Do, do you think that in some ways people who are in DevRel are better suited to have the opportunity to find that growth? Because it seems to me like, I mean, in some ways, and Grant, this is coming from someone who's running DevRel as a service, but uh, I have the opportunity to go to the events that I choose to go to. So like, I could just do nothing but DevOps days and say, okay, those are my events. That's cool. But if I wanted to, or if, you know, and if it's accepted and it's, if I have the opportunity, I can go do a CTO summit, just start looking into those things or, or something on product management. And, you know, I have the information to share with them that I'm sure they're interested in. But it also, because I'm in DevRel, gives me the opportunity to say, oh, this seems like an interesting position, or this seems like something I could learn from. Even before, like Matt said, you're sitting across from the person, kind of a way to use your community to learn where you want to put your chair. That's an awesome point, PJ. I mean, I uh, to disclose like where I'm at in that journey, I keep going back to the uncomfortable realization that my happiest place is marketing. Uh, you know, I'm happy to work 
for DevRel and I can code, I, I can set you up with a Docker environment or a Kubernetes cluster if need be. But my, when I really question like, why do I enjoy what I'm doing? It's like, I love to tell great stories that resonate with people. And if you look at the KPIs and the top level metrics of an organization, that's not an engineering responsibility at its fundamental core. Like hopefully I get to work with awesome engineers and do so, but that's what marketing has to do. They have to have that storytelling aspect right. and own that. So like I drive towards people where like I have mentors that I'm uncomfortable with that are CMOs and that are, that are pushing me to really understand how marketing works and, and not be too starry eyed about the technology alone, but how the technology enables a sales motion. And that sales motion is the, like the responsibility of the business. Well, um, it's, it's funny. It's funny you say this though, because I, because you, you talk about being uncomfortable with these mentors, but I think that like, actually you should take some pride in it. Um, I, I recently wrote an article about, you know, the difference between developer marketing and developer relations. And I wanted to make very clear in that article that I'm not trying to slam developer marketing. It's just there's different goals there. Um, and that's okay. But I think that in so many ways, like part of the problem I had with a lot of the people that approached me about that article was they were like, well, marketing is garbage. And it's like, no, it's, it's not. Like, I don't care if you work for, you know, the biggest enterprise company in the world or you work for the smallest open source startup there is. Um, you enjoy getting a paycheck. Marketing is what helps bring in the, like sales finishes the job, but marketing is what actually brings people to, to the table. So I think in some ways, like we need to be a little bit more marketing positive around here. Um, so, so I think that like when you say my, some of my mentors are CMOs, there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> no way. It's, it's pretty awesome. But, and it's a good point. Like I, I think I'm, I'm talking to your, your audience of this podcast and I'm thinking right. that they were also conditioned in the same water that I was that says yeah. like, Ooh, marketing equals bad. And I, it is a little uncomfortable because I was told that so many times, but mm -hmm. I'm finding it's incredibly wrong. Like to your point, it's like, it adds so much value to understand operationally how to categorize and lead people through an experience where they're consenting to it the whole way and enjoying the participation in it. It's not like you're trying to beat people with the story. It's you find the right people. Um, and then on the other side, it's like, yeah, we get to be great technologists and tell stories at the same time. Awesome. I agree. <laughs> yeah, it, I just find it really interesting that it's uh, kind of the same, uh, like the, the other side of the coin from my experience. I just, I'm like, let's build stuff. I want to build stuff. But I'm so glad that there's people like you out there that exist, Matt, because, whoo. And you're, I think that you're right, though, that there's, um, there's something that, like, even if you are someone that's a little bit more on my side of the, the table that really enjoys just kind of like getting their hands dirty and building stuff that you, I, I seek out those mentors too, that I would call the uncomfortable mentors from other parts of the organization that I have know nothing about and I'm totally unskilled in um, because they, they can be so valuable and so helpful for me to like build that context in my head. Well, I think that's the key in some ways too. Like, we talk about mentoring and things like that. I think the key to building a, a better community, a more understanding community, whether that's internal because you're running a team or it's external because you're in DevRel is finding those people who are nothing fucking like you and bringing them in, giving them a welcome place. Um, like, you know, to, to continue to carry out with Matt's metaphor about desks, going, going over to them and saying, listen, yo, there's a seat next to me. You should come hang out in this seat and also learn from the person across from me. I learned from you. We learned from the person across from you. We're all in this one place. Okay, I'm getting ranty. 
<laughs> no, and Lauren, like you're a coach uh, and, and that's a big part of what you do. Could you offer some advice for people who aren't terribly comfortable reaching out to mentors that they don't already Oh my know? gosh. Yeah, totally. I would say always aim higher than you think you can get, right? I don't, and don't be afraid of them saying no because 95% will say yes. Um, and that is because, I mean, you are, um, it is, it is a honor to be a mentor. And when someone approaches you, um, to be a mentor, it is, you know, um, very, I mean, it's kind of like, whoa, wow. Like that's really me. Right. And then, you know, it's like, then you get complimented and you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. Y'all totally do it. Right. And, and I think it also shows the, you know, for me, at least when I take on, um, you know, kind of pro bono clients or, um, you know, new mentees, I want to make sure that they are, they have that initiative, right? Like it's, I'm not going to go hunt anyone down. Um, there's one person I hunted down and it was just because I really saw a need in the market and there was, there was some, you know, um, it was really critical. I thought for some inclusion work that I was doing, but also, um, I think that it, it just shows that initiative. And, you know, I, uh, I can't even tell you, I think I sent a letter to this, uh, so uh, Colette Cress is the, uh, now the CFO and uh, head finance person at NVIDIA. And I remember when I was asking her to be my mentor and I sent her this note and it was, hi, Colette, we met at Microsoft and now we're together at Cisco. And I really admire the way that, um, you know, you, you carry yourself in the room and you, you can kind of, um, you know, so on and so forth. And to be honest, you scare me a little bit, but I figured I'd send this note anyways. Thanks, Lauren. Right? <laughs> she she, she literally that. sat on that note for like five days. She told me, she was like, I wasn't sure what to say. I had no idea what to do. Like you were kind of complimenting me, but then not really. Like I don't really know. And it was, you know, it was, it was really good feedback for me, right? Um, hey, don't say that. So folks in the audience don't send a note like that. But also, you know, it did catch her attention and she replied and she became my mentor. So it was, it was great. So anyways, I'll, I'll stop there. But yeah, I think definitely reach, reach out and reach up. I, I think that's great. Um, <laughs> what a fun story. And, and, you know, it made me re remember something I think just came up uh, last week or two weeks ago in a conversation about hiring and how hiring is so difficult. And uh, I can't remember, there was lots of things said in the conversation, but it was something to effect of uh, it, especially for women um, and people of color and, and those who aren't always included, it's difficult for, for everybody to really swing for the fences and do something that's scary. They don't always, I think not everybody is willing to like uh, sign up, you know, put their, na their name in for a job unless they really feel they check all the boxes or at least most of the boxes off. But I feel like really all of us um, can get behind the idea of you have to lean into the scary. You have to lean into the things that maybe you, you have some, you know, experience with, but really this isn't your best, you know, your strongest thing. And does that mean that you shouldn't be uh, considered for this role? I think all of us can say, yes, of course we all, we, you know, especially the stuff we do, it's a little bit more personality based. It's less a, a, about the checkboxes on a, on a job description. But I think it is important to like go after those things that are scary. Reach out to somebody to say, Hey, would you be willing to be a mentor for me? Or can I talk to you every once in a while? Uh, and just doing those types of things and, and finding that good balance where you're, you know, you're, you're doing things that are comfortable to you, but you're also extending yourself a little bit with that growth mindset type of stuff. Yeah. You got one more thing before we, before we take, take it yeah, to the that's end all right. I just yes, wanted to make, make an appeal to anybody that now is farther along in their career that um, 
sometimes I think in the my, when I look at my mentorship um, relationships that I've had in my career, a lot of it has not been formalized in any way. It's not like I've gone up to a bunch of people and said, hey, do you want to be my mentor? I think you're cool. Um, it's kind of just been more them putting time on my calendar or me putting time on their calendar, you know, coming by and asking them a bunch of questions and, um, and going through things together. And I think if you find yourself in a position of, of some power, some privilege, and you see people around you that are more diverse than you, and maybe that's the scary thing that you might have an opportunity to lean into is reach out and, and start mentoring them, even if it doesn't mean going and saying, hey, I will be your mentor officially. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. I think, you know, the message, we all know it and feel it, but sometimes we don't say it is that we're all capable. Every, anything is possible for all of us. And I think sometimes we, we, we dampen our belief in what we can and can't do based on our own, you know, daily imposter syndrome. And sometimes I get, tri- I get triggered easily by someone just saying, you know, yeah, somebody slipped through the cracks and they, they weren't as technical, but here they are talking about technical things. I'm like, oh my gosh, are they talking about me? Cause that's exactly me. Like, hmm. how did I get here? Um, I, I got here by doing the things that were scary and, and saying, I'm willing to learn. I want to learn new things. I want to try something I don't know. Please give me a chance. And it's worked every single time, but that's not an easy thing to say for, for everybody. So anyway, great, uh, episode, everybody. So uh, thank you so much for being on here. We've got to start uh, sort of wrapping things up. So those of you that listen to the show know that we switch into checkouts mode here at the end of the podcast where we go around the horn and everyone shares just something that's um, kind of interesting, new, doesn't have to be related to community necessarily. Um, so why don't we uh, maybe start with our guests and go around and uh, how about uh, Shannon? Maybe we'll start with you on what your checkouts are. Oh, I have never done this before and I'm not used to it. But um, one of the things that I've been really into lately is just reading um, a book called The Elegant Puzzle by William Larson. Um, Just a really interesting book about engineering culture, organization, leadership challenges, all that stuff. Just find it to be really, really nerdy and fun. And I like it a lot. Um, And then when I'm not thinking about, you know, organizational structures or leadership stuff in terms of engineering. Um, I like to unwind with podcasts. And so I know some of the people that listen to this podcast might also like podcasts. One of the things that I really enjoy is the heavyweight podcast. It's a good one too. Something heartwarming. Yeah, I'll go, I'll go next. Um, you know, I, uh, I recently, I've never enjoyed, um, science fiction books and I recently found, uh, John Scalzi. And he is phenomenal. And if you have not picked up a science fiction book, please read Red Shirts. I think it is amazing. Um, and then I think uh, the, next, the next thing is um, I want to give a shout out to Twitter for their statement around uh, political ads. I think that is super rad and super awesome. And I hope that others follow in their footsteps and learn. Um, and then, uh, the, the third thing is, you know, I've been watching, I, I watch a lot of things and I kind of like to see where people, what people are up to and what they're doing. And if you guys haven't noticed, there's, there's been a couple interesting shifts of people moving over to Red Hat recently. So, um, just kind of, I, I would take a second look at that. Like I'm a big fan of this IBM Red Hat combo and, uh, have been for a while. Like worked at IBM. Um, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of their, uh, their intellectual property base and just the smarts over there. And I think the combo with red hats really, really cool. So, uh, I would, uh, I would place my bets on them and uh, see what happens in the new year, but you know, that's for me. Awesome. Um, 
totally different feel, but there's a command line <laughs> utility I'm pretty obsessed with lately. It's called TLDR. And when you install it, you sit, type TLDR and then the command you want a simple explanation of how to use. And it's, it's like the most human readable man pages possible. Uh, I've always wanted to be a user of Pandoc, this awesome utility to convert you know, between file types. And I just could never figure out the syntax very well. And you write TLDR Pandoc and it's just boom, like the top four ways in which to do it. They're also really, really welcoming of pull requests. I found a typo in one, opened it up in like maybe five minutes, they had reviewed it and merged it. So they've got a really good uh, maintainer flow, which I, I truly respect. I know how hard that is to do. Um, so give back and use that, it's pretty dope. Um, on the kind of entertainment side, I've been slow binging, if you will, Rhythm and Flow on Netflix. It's such a good uh, competition show. I, I really think of it as like a really authentic version of The Voice that focuses on rap in different cities around the United States. And it's hosted by Cardi B, T.I., and Chance the Rapper, and all of whom like just completely make my heart explode into glitter. They're so entertaining. <laughs> uh, and I've, the slow binge part is that I just, I like it so much, I don't want it to end. So it's, I'm trying not to watch it right in a row, but days in a row. So enjoy that. That is awesome. Jason, you want to be up next? Sure. Um, top of mind for me has been mostly uh, all this uh, preparation for Microsoft Ignite and then Ignite the Tour kicks off here soon. So I'm actually leaving Sunday, be gone for two weeks. Um, but I'm really excited for this event. Uh, I've been, uh, me and the whole advocacy team, well, not every single person, but a, a big group of us have been working on um, all these awesome talks and tutorials and there's some really, really slick stuff coming out um, being announced there. So uh, I know this probably won't come out until afterwards, I'm guessing, or at least maybe middle, middle of the episode but, or middle of the event. But once those videos and tutorials are out, I'm really excited to get people to, to check those out and like give me feedback and stuff because um, yeah, it's been months and months in the, in the making. So that's coming up. And then kind of related, I'm leaving for two weeks and uh, I've got a sick puppy who I want to keep an eye on um, while I'm gone. So I downloaded this app. It's just called Dog Monitor and it is, it's the bee's knees. You have to have two, two iPhones, which I just happen to have an old one in a drawer. So I, I um, mounted that uh, right by his bed and we'll be keeping close eye on him while I'm traveling. So anyone who knows or finds yourself in a, in a need to like keep an eye on your dog, um, that's a pretty good app so far. That's all I've got. Please, please use it ethically. Yes. Side note, I used that when we were training our puppy. And it's amazing. It's so cheap and simple. Just set up the iPad by her and like yeah. would be out to dinner. Yep. It's awesome. Yep. It's going to be, it's going to be very, uh, help my anxiety levels immensely. Then you come back, the puppies downloaded Fortnite and spent $4,000. It's unbelievable. <laughs> Let's be clear. He's a 13 year old puppy. He's not that. That's the age. He's, not, he's a little bit more responsible with his, <laughs> with his devices. Yeah. That's just, That's, so they're always puppies, right? Puppies forever. They're, absolutely. they're the only puppies. <laughs> um, I'll just jump in quickly. Um, so a couple of things that I found this week. Um, free for Dev is um, a list that got uh, sent in the heavy bit newsletter that I got recently, um, uh, you know, close to this recording. And um, it's a really handy tool full of all of the free tiers for a wide, wide variety of developer products. And so it's just a really handy list to have. 
um, and definitely share with your community so um, you know folks can get up and running on, on cool projects without needing to to spend too much money um, and moving away from the developer community side of things when I relax I sometimes listen to a podcast and enjoy a delightful cocktail um, and uh, I just moved to um, the Boston Cambridge area to start my new job at HubSpot next week what what so I'm excited um, and uh, last night for Halloween I went to this amazing distillery called Short Path in Everett Massachusetts and they make everything in-house it was a really cool space um, you get to see sort of all of the um, function all of the sort of like mechanics and engineering of creating tasty beverages and then consuming them so um, if you're in the Boston area um, definitely recommend going there and hit me up maybe we can go together that's awesome. Um, I will go next. I've got a couple books that I've been making my way through lately. Um, one is called Space, An Invitation to Create Sustainable Rhythms of Work, Play, and Rest. And it's um, written from the perspective of a Christian woman. So it's a devotional type of thing. Um, but it's so applicable, I think, to anybody. Um, so whether you are whether you call yourself a Christian or not, um, I'd say pick it up. It's been fantastic for me and just reminding me of ways that I need to make space in my life and giving me ideas of ways to do that. But I've just, I felt really called out by a number of the, the pages and the days that I've gone through. Uh, and so I'd really encourage us to, encourage us all to create more space in our lives. And this has been a good way that I've been doing that. Um, another series I've been going through is the Har Harley Merlin series. Um, I have Kindle and I have Kindle Unlimited and I love it. Um, and this is one of those series that is just super fun to read. Someone the other day described it as Harry Potter for adults. And it's uh, a series that I can read through really quickly and I'm on like book eight. I think there's 11 or 12, but they're super fast. They're super easy to read. I will caveat it with if you are a snobbish reader and you like things that are exceptionally well written, you might stumble in a couple places, but it's fun enough and the characters are awesomely well written enough that I'm just, I'm loving it. Um, and then piling on what Matt was talking about with Rhyme and Flow, Songland is a show that I wish I had slow binged. Um, it was airing on NBC, which I got through Hulu and it's a songwriter show. And so they have artists who are, uh, working with songwriters. They bring a few different songwriters in and then send them off with producers for a couple days to tweak the songs, to make them different, to bring out different pieces. And then the artists actually choose songs that they want to release on their latest albums. And it's songs that you've likely heard. It's a good variety of artists that are featured on there from pop to country to uh, just a whole different mix of things. Um, and I really, really love that they're bringing attention to the songwriter side of, of things because we so often don't see that. So those are my three for this week. Awesome. Um, and I, I will go last. Uh, so a couple of things that I have. Uh, first of all, I was very excited when I woke up this morning. Um, I am a little bit older and I was lucky enough that in the nineties, there was this very special thing that happened where these four people came together and made probably one of the greatest bands. Uh, Rage Against the Machine kind of silently low key announced that they will be playing five shows in 2020 um, for the first time in years. So 
Um, feel free to buy a ticket and send it to me. I will find a way to get there. But in all seriousness, this is probably one of the greatest bands that there ever was, and they've still got it. So if you have the opportunity, go and see them play. You will not regret the experience. Um, secondly, uh, my wife and I, who, who we have the situation where we don't, we don't set out to binge things, but it happens. Uh, we had heard about the series Modern Love, uh, which is based on the New York Times article about Modern Love. Uh, and we decided to watch it. It was an absolutely fabulous series. But in particular, I'd like to point out there is an episode starring Anne Hathaway that is absolutely stunning. It, it, without spoiling it, it's about mental health and relationships and dealing with them. And if, if you, since it's not, it's not a series in the sense that each episode flows into the other, you can kind of watch them out of order. Um, but definitely take a look at that. It gives you a lot of insight into what's going on. It's really an amazing episode. And to, to kind of riff off of that, also, as a lot of people here know, I'm on the board at osmihelp.org, um, which is an organization that works on mental health and tech. Uh, and I wanted to let everybody know that towards the end of the month here in November, we will be at Cubicon. I will be on stage doing a, uh, excuse me, a mental health and tech panel with some other folks in the community. Uh, please come and hang out, uh, learn some, ask questions, do stuff, get better. Um, the only way we get better is if we talk about it. And those are my checkouts. I want to thank Lauren, Shannon, Matt. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, SJ, thanks for coming to guest host. It's been awesome. Um, if you want to find out more about what these people do and what we're talking about, always check out communitypulse.io for this and more episodes. We are where you find your favorite podcasts. If you really like us, please write a review on Apple Podcasts. They love to hear from you. Um, and we are community underscore pulse on Twitter. So if you have feedback, that's definitely a place to do it. Um, for Mary and Jason and SJ, thank you so much for joining us for another great episode of Community Pulse. And to close this out, since we've had such a hip hop theme going on, I'd like to quote Kendrick Lamar, live your life, live it right, be different, do different things. And we'll see you next time. This has been another episode of the Community Pulse podcast. Find us on Twitter at community underscore pulse online at communitypulse.io and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. We'll see you next time.